Success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. Oh, my gosh. Do I have an invincible one for you today? I'm so excited to introduce you to Sarah Peck. She is the founder and CEO of Startup Parent, a company and virtual community that connects parents who want to reimagine and build a new future of work. In 2016, she founded Startup Parent while pregnant, working at a venture-backed tech startup. While there, she had to figure out, build, and negotiate taking leave while giving birth and parenting at a startup. To gain insight and support, she began interviewing women entrepreneurs on the Startup Parent Podcast, now an award-winning show that features business owners, entrepreneurs, and leaders telling honest stories about working and parenting. Since then, Startup Parent has doubled in revenue year after year, published 175 plus shows, and has expanded to offer books and community for working parents. Every year, she gathers business leaders and entrepreneurs together in the Wise Women's Council, nine-month leadership incubator for professional women navigating career and family at the same time. She believes all new mothers deserve an honorary MBA and that working parents have leadership skills and insights that can transform the way we work and live that's better for everyone. Oh my gosh, Sarah Peck, welcome to the She's Invincible podcast. You surely are invincible and it is my pleasure to have you here and share you with our listeners today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. And you might hear, I just heard kids get out of school outside, so you're going to hear some background kid noises, but thanks for having me. Hey, we're keeping it real over here, right? Like, whatever it is, it is. Like, we got to tell the truth about it. I love it. So let's do this. Let's jump in. Let's tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today and what makes you invincible? I mean, it's it, the older you get, I don't know if you noticed this, but the older you get, the longer the story gets. And then you can start to connect some of the dots and the patterns. And it's like, well, do you have a couple hours? Like, let's sit down, let's go through this. Um, but I, it's not a linear path. It's not organized. It's not clean. It's not clear. Um, it, I don't even know if it fully makes sense even yet because uh, I'm still living into it. But the nuts and bolts are my parents are rocket scientists. I grew up in Palo Alto, California in Silicon Valley. There was a lot of pressure to be really smart and to be really successful and to make a lot of money. Startups were part of my um, kind of cultural background and backdrop. And so I left and I went to school in Ohio um, because I needed to get as far away from California as I could. And I swam and I studied psychology. And then I got a degree in architecture, landscape architecture. I worked in landscape architecture for five, a little more than five years and realized I was in the wrong field. I was in the wrong profession. I started doing things on the side, learned how to freelance. There was a big economic recession. It was not a great time to try to get a new job. And I started my freelance company. It freed me up to start to travel and move to new cities. Um, And fast forward, I joined a startup. Funny thing, you don't connect those dots until later, but I joined a startup and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And while I was at the startup, I got pregnant with my first kid. And I had no idea 
how hard pregnancy would be, how hard parenting would be, how hard working in tech would be, how much um, anti-mom bias and even anti-women bias there is in the world of startups and tech, how much I wasn't welcomed, even though I love my team, they're an amazing team. And just so much that I had to wade through and I kept looking around like, who's out there? Who's doing this? Why is this, is it just me? Is it only me? Which leads me to your question about being invincible. I think the thing that I am learning and finally like claiming is that I stop taking it personally when something feels wrong. Put another way, I'm, I trust myself. If, I, if something feels off, I'm not the problem. There's wisdom in there. And I need to lean into that and listen to it and realize that, hey, maybe the world of work wasn't designed for women. Maybe the world of work is actually making everyone burned out. Maybe I don't have the burnout problem, but work is causing the burnout problem. And there's something in there to look deeper at. Oh my gosh, that is that is so powerful right there. Wow. Wow. Okay. So let's break this down. So tell bridge the gap between uh you got pregnant, you here you were in the startup company, and now here you are today. So tell me what happened that brought you out of there and into here. Yeah. So the, the neat story, you know, the one that you'll see on, on um, the website, if you kind of connect the dots, it's like, oh, she left the startup. She started her own company and now it's successful. Wow. That's amazing. The real story is that I uh, left the company because I wanted to write a book about my experience. So I pitched an agency in New York. It'd been a lifelong dream of mine to write and publish a traditional book. And I pitched an agency and I wrote five drafts of a book proposal. None of them turned into a book. And the agent suggested, you know, maybe you need more stories. Maybe you need to talk to more people. So I went and I interviewed a whole bunch of people, terrible audio quality done in my room on my telephone. And after 30 interviews, I thought to myself, oh, I bet other people would like to listen to this. Oh, people make podcasts. I should make a podcast. And that turned into the startup parent podcast. And I've now interviewed like 200 people about parenting and entrepreneurship and what it's like to be a woman who is working outside of the home and economic employment, to be a leader, to be a business owner. Um, I still haven't finished the book, but I have created a company accidentally out of all of those uh, pieces of experimentation, I will call them. Yes, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Well, today I'm excited to talk to you about telling the truth, uh, about how to say no, about living that that best life uh, where you get to put yourself and, and your needs first. So let's go there. Let's tell the truth. I love it. Truth telling is, I think, a superpower. Um, and I think being honest, it relates to what I said earlier about listening in. You know, when you have that little tiny intuition isn't always loud. Sometimes it's just a little tickle or it's like a little what's wrong here. Right. And we can push it aside and sweep it aside. But the thing that I've learned to do over time is to listen a little more closely, to wait a little bit longer and then to say, mm, that's not the truth. That's that's not what's going on here. Something else is going on here. I love that. So tell me how like this is always like a. a variable in this is everyone is different, right? So what yeah. would you say, like, where do you feel that? What does that feel like? Uh, not everyone is so in tune. So what, what can they do to kind of really connect to that? So they know, because constantly women are questioning themselves, right? Yeah. Oh, this is an amazing question. Wait, did you have more? I don't want to cut no, you off. Let's go there. Then we'll go more. Yeah. Okay. I love to go so, deeper. I honestly, the thing that I would say is, um, I always thought, you know, there's this saying like you have a hell yes or a hell no. And so I kept waiting for the hell no. I kept waiting for like, oh, it's going to be this big resonant thing in my body and I'm going to know and I'm just going to have all the information and it's going to be like so cool when it happens. And it turns out that no doesn't feel like that in my body. It's a very specific sound and it took me a long time to learn how to listen to it. So let's say I'm presented with a decision and I'm trying to figure something out. And it's like, Oh, I, ah, well, do I want to do this? And I start, what happens is I jump into my head and this look at, watch my body. If you're watching a video, um, I tilt my head and I go, well, 
that's the sound that comes out of my mouth when I actually don't want to do something. I try to talk myself into it. And it took me the longest time to figure this out. I thought, right, we'd have to tell no. No, no, no. If there's subtle signs and what you want to look for, you want to be like a scientist and look for clues and patterns. And if you have no idea, then you're going to start by trying things. You say, okay, do I like this restaurant or not? And you say, my prediction is I'm going to like this restaurant. And you walk in and you're like, this is so terrible. I don't like the lighting. I don't like the sound. I don't like the food. I don't like the waiter. And so you collect this data and then you start to look for patterns in your own life. Huh, I made these predictions and what happened? Oh, that's really fascinating. Every time I said, well, this would be a good idea because then I would get exposure and then I would do this and then this would happen. You actually hated it. So that's how I start to collect that information and trust myself that, oh, there were little signs along the way and I can start to connect the dots and understand what the patterns of who I am, what it looks like. And for women, especially, um, we are so conditioned to look outside of ourselves for validation. We wanna behave for other people. We wanna be present ourselves and be well-liked. We wanna look good. Those are all about external markers of success. We're not trained or taught or raised to be like, hey, little girl, let's value your brain. How do you feel? What feels right to you? It's do those genes look good, not do those genes feel good? Like what makes you feel like yourself? And so we're so dissociated, both men and women in many ways, from our feelings that it's really hard to just suddenly snap it on and be like, oh, now I have access to everything. So it takes some time, take some listening. Ah, uh, well, let's dig in a little bit to this truth. Okay. So I know women like men will be brutally honest and hurt your feelings and make you cry. Uh, and some women can do that too. But I know for the most part, women tend to avoid the truth because they don't want to hurt somebody. Uh, so let's talk about this truth thing. Like what, what was it about truth that took you in that direction of being passionate about that? And then how can others embrace that in a positive way so that yeah. they can live more authentic and show up as more authentic, not be hiding behind, I'm trying not to hurt your feelings? That's so interesting. I love this question. So I have a couple of different thoughts that come to mind. And one is um, it, when we're speaking it's so interesting. You said men would be brutal. You know, they'll tell, be brutally honest to each other. I'm, I think what we need to do is make space for us to be brutally honest with ourselves first, but we can do that in relationship. And one of my favorite phrases of all time, and I use this in all of the communities that I run three words in my experience, in my experience. So if you go in and you say like, writing is stupid and books are bad and women are this and men are this, you're going to cause a lot of friction. And even if I said to somebody else, like, you're this, hmm, we don't know if that's true or not. But instead, if you use the phrase in my experience, you can say, Hey, in my experience, pregnancy really sucked. I know some people love pregnancy, but for me, totally sucked. Then people can't say, nah, that's not true because it's your experience and they can't deny it. The flip side of that is to allow other people to share their true stories. And we don't have good mechanisms for doing that in our like common, it's like, what do you do? Where are you going? What are you here for? What do you want? Right. They're very quick, snappy, precise, um, get to the point, like make it efficient, make it fast, make it terse. Like it's very masculine in its energy. And I like to slow down and take a little bit more time and ask someone, you know, so what happened here? And they'll tell me the chronology. They'll say, oh, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And my next favorite question is, what was that like for you? Because most people don't share their emotions right away. They'll tell you a story. You know, first I was on the bus and then this and then this. And it's what was that like for you? Oh, it made me so angry. And emotion is the heart of storytelling. And it's also the heart of experience. And getting back to those emotions helps us tell the truth. I love it. That is so good. So good. So let's talk about the benefits of being honest, telling the truth versus that whole hiding behind things, because that causes a lot of stuff, right? In work, relationships, all the things. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. I love mm. this truth thing. Yeah. I'm such a fan of it. And I think, I think, um, uh, something that's really important to remember is truth telling should be kind. 
right? Truth telling should be kind. If we're doing it with an intention of like, I'm going to get you or I'm going to make you feel bad. That's not truth telling. That's being mean, right? And um, what are those? Uh, I don't know them off the top of my head, but there's like four. Is it true? Is it kind? Um, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? There's like those gates of speech and you can follow those. Like, oh, when I have something truth, like, you know, you, you, this person is not behaving well or this person is really struggling. You say, is it true, right? And that's the first, truth telling is the first thing. Is it true? Is it kind, right? Do I need to tell so-and-so that their pants are on inside out? I don't know. It depends where they are. Like they're about to go on national television. Yeah, I'll probably tell them. But if they're just a random stranger in the park, maybe they did that on purpose. Does it need to be said? No. Does it need to be said by me? Right. And I think those are the four. Uh, I didn't make them up, but they're the four gates of speech to help you figure out like, well, when is it a good idea to, to say something that's honest? The other thing I will say about truth telling, it's kind. It, it might be hard at the beginning. But if you have compassionate individuals, if you have space and you are, you're holding the other person in high regard, it's wonderful. Like the results are actually really powerful. Women, especially, we don't want to be ostracized. We don't want to be left out of the group. We don't want to do anything wrong. You know, sometimes we want to keep our job. But if you really can tell the truth in a kind and compassionate way with someone you trust, so a boss, you say something like, hey, I have to tell you, I'm really struggling to come in at 9 a.m. because my kids get on the bus at 8.45. And what would be phenomenal for me is if I could come in at 10 and then make up the extra hour in the evening. Is that a problem? How can we brainstorm this together? You're being honest. You're telling the truth. I love that. I, and it should be that kind of conversation, right? Like we're in it together. We want to make this work together, right? I love that. But we look at our boss like, oh, they're going to judge us because we can't come in at nine. But if they understood why, they might have more respect for us. Right. And then and then actually make it so that you guys can work together. And it's a it's a good union. I yeah. love that. All right. Let's go back to no. Oh, my Wait, goodness. I have one. You just reminded me of something. So I have to say this, though. Yes. The only thing is like that part about the other person being there for you. If you have a nasty boss or you're in a bad relationship or you know that that person is not going to have your best interests at heart, truth telling doesn't apply there. So the first step is you have to protect yourself in your heart. That's the truth telling that matters the most. It's like, I am going to tell the truth about myself to myself, to myself. And then I'm going to look for people who can care for me the way that I would care for them, right? And if you're in that space, then you can tell the truth. Because let's say you have a boss that's going to sabotage you all the way down, who wants to undermine your work. You're in a really toxic work environment. And you are trying to work with a coach and figure out your next moves in your life. Well, I'm not going to tell you to be like, hey, I'm working with a coach to get out of this terrible job. No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand me here. What you're going to tell your boss is the truth that protects you. Hey, I have a class. I have a non-negotiable meeting. I have something really important that really matters to me. And I have to attend it every Thursday at one. And I'm going to make up the work over here, right? You're going to tell them the truth that helps you both. I love that. Oh, thanks for clarifying that because yeah. there are bosses out there that will use the truth against you, you know, and that's never good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's go back to no, like, okay. It's two letters, right? The two such powerful letters. Yeah. And you know, um, there I'm looking on my desk. Is it here? Uh, Two years ago, my word was yes. And it was because, yeah, like that was my word for the year was yes. And it yeah. was because every time I said yes to one thing, I was saying no to something else. And yeah. I love it. So let's go back to no. Let's talk about how no can be self-care, how you can love yourself with the no's in the world, right? Uh, let's talk about all the things about no. Mm. Oh, I love this. So becoming a parent has really made me become even more discerning with my time and energy because I just don't have the same time and energy anymore. It's so hard. I wish I could go to evening events. I wish I could stay up late. I wish so many things, but the truth is we have limited time. We have limited energy and we have limited yeses. So getting really clear on what are these five things that I want to say yes to with my life? You know, what are these most important things? Like you said, 
sometimes your no is about saying yes to something else. What do I have to say no to, to say yes to this? And I talked to somebody out of my coaching leadership program the other day, because she came to me and she was like, well, I really want to write a book and I need uh, more writing time. And I said, okay, so will this leadership incubator help you write? And she was like, no. I said, then it's a no, right? Don't, don't join this. Like if we can keep you accountable, if there's other writers you want to meet in this group, then this group is a space for you. But if it's not in line with your big yes, then it's a no. Um, but the other part of no, that's so interesting, I think is that it's really hard to say no. And again, for women, we are culture to say, yes, I'll take care of that. Yep. I can do that. Yep. No problem. I'll take the notes. I'll clean the table. I will do the invisible work and I will make your life easier. So we say yes to everything. And so people come to me and I have a book on this, but they really struggle. How do I say no? Like, how do I say no? It also happens when you grow in your leadership capacity and your position. And then people are asking you to be on more shows and be in summits. And you get so many email requests and it's like, oh my gosh, how do I manage my calendar? How do, who do I say no to? And I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be disliked. I don't want people to, you know, think that I'm not helping. My favorite phrase of all time, I'll give you my favorite one, the top one. And this is non-negotiable. People can't argue with it. And it's like almost as good as a three-year-old toddler being like, nah, -uh. <laughs> but let's say you ask me for something, Sarah, can I blurb you in my book? Sarah, can you write this essay for our website? Sarah, can you come on our show? Whatever it is. Um, Sarah, can you cook me dinner? I'll say, ah, it's not the right fit. You sandwich it. You say, hey, that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. Like, thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. That's a kindness that you did because you thought of me when you thought of this. Um, it's not the right fit for me right now. So I'm going to have to decline. Good luck. I wish you the best of luck. Like, have a great time. You invite me to an event. Oh, thank you for inviting me that, to this event. Uh, it's not the right fit for me right now. I hope you have a wonderful time at the event. Most women make excuses, and I'll generalize this to all people. A lot of people make excuses like, oh, I can't make it because evenings are bad for me. Oh, I can't make it that week. I'm busy, right? And some, so what's going to happen? You're going to say, oh, I can do it next week. Do you want to move it till four? Should we do it at noon? Should we, like, when can we make it work in your schedule? And you're like, oh, no, I really just didn't want to do this, and I said the wrong thing. Well, uh, that next week I'm on vacation, but also, like, my boss won't let me. Ooh, can I talk to your boss? You go down this rabbit hole of trying to convince you to do something you knew you didn't want to do. But if I tell you, hey, um, thanks for thinking of me, but that book, that book project isn't the right fit for me right now, no one can come back to you and say, nah, -uh, yes, it is. <laughs> or how about next week or next month? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so perfect. And there's no guilt that comes with it. Like it's yeah. just not a perfect fit and you can say no. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh my gosh. You have just equipped us in such a great way. Oh great boy. Fit. It's yeah. not a great fit. I love it. Do you guess what I'm going to be saying? <laughs> Oh it's my really gosh. Powerful. I love it. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for that. All right, let's move on. I want to hear all about the startup parent podcast. Oh yeah. my gosh. So fun. So fun. And now I, and I know you already mentioned like how that came about was yeah. the story. So tell us a little bit more. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's one of my favorite places to be the startup parent podcast. I get to interview these brilliant women but I asked them to tell the truth. You know, what don't you do as a parent? What surprised you about becoming a parent? You know, what are some of the challenges for you as a business leader? Um, similar to what you do with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like, let's really dig in and tell the truth about this because we're not helping other women if we just pretend, oh yeah, if you just work hard enough, you can do it all, right? No, that's not true for anyone. Nobody is doing it all. Um, most people don't have their ish together, right? As we talked about <laughs> other times, they just, they don't, um, I don't. And, and it's, I don't know, it's just such a pleasure. We, the, the podcast is very long. It's uh, 75 to 90 minutes. And by the time we get to the end, people really tell the truth. Wow. I can imagine there's an evolution. They start out like t dipping a toe in the water. And at the end, they're like fully undressed. <laughs> I, I, I need to totally. Yeah. Now they're skinny dipping, right? 
<laughs> I need to go back and listen because that is, that's amazing. That is so amazing. And to our listeners, the link is in the show notes. So if you're wondering about that and you're a mom or you have, you want to, you know, give some mom advice or hear some mom stories before you become a mom. Oh my gosh. Go over there, click the link and go listen to what they have to say over there. Amazing. And you have a newsletter for moms. This is, it's a mom. Oh my gosh. So what kind of things do you include in that? Newsletter is super fun. Um, Writing is one of my first loves. I love writing. And I try to just tell stories that haven't been told before about parenting, about doing things differently, because there's so many stories. And yet the mainstream media is like perfect mom, two parents, man, woman, two and a half kids. Like it's just all the same story, like perfect pregnancy bump. And I want to get in there and be like, hey, so let's talk about miscarriage. Let's talk about abortion. Let's talk about childcare. Like how is the pandemic affecting you? What does burnout look like as a caretaker? How do we change the future of work? Like we're asking really big questions and the community in the newsletter is so cool. The people who listen, I mean, do you ever get intimidated by readership or listenership? Like people write back to you and you're like, oh boy, uh, you are one of the smartest people I've ever met in the world. And I did not know you were on my newsletter list. And that's going to make me up my game as best as I can. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Awesome. And the wise women's council. Oh my gosh. Tell us all about who is it for? What are they going to get out of that? What is, what is the purpose? Why should they jump in? This is our our first flagship program and it's been extraordinary. It's been better than I expected. Um, The simplest version is that I help tired moms make friends. And the deeper version is that it's a transformative leadership incubator. I help you take all of these, the messiness of parenting and the messiness of the work world and figure out, okay, what are my next moves here? How do I do life? How do I figure out what my wisdom is telling me? And how do I make it a little less lonely, right? So I bring, we just started our, our, today, literally, I was just got off a call um, earlier today we just kicked off the program. I'm going to be together with people until November, March until November. We spent eight months together and we go deep into these rich conversations to practice. Hey, what is my next move as a leader? Where am I going? And people end up taking these big leaps. People um, ask hard questions like, do I want to have another kid? Um, do I want to start a family now? If I start my own business, can I leave my company? Can I leave my job? Should I start a second business? Should I quit my business? Is it time to shut it down? How do I get on boards? How do I get involved in angel investing? Some people have exited big companies and they want to figure out, well, now what do I do? You know, nobody gives you a roadmap for when you're 42. No, no, they don't. <laughs> I, um, you are so right. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. they're stretched yeah. so thin already, right? They're entrepreneurs, they're yeah. career women, they have children, they homes they're running and all of the other things that come with it. And it's become more and more complicated over these past two years. So, you know, what used to be drop your kids off and go to work and pick them back up is just a whole different story. Like we used to think that was hard. We didn't know hard, (laughs) right? Until the pandemic came and knocked knocked us out. Oh my Uh, gosh. I mean, it's, if we didn't laugh, we'd cry, right? Like I, my kids are grown, but they have their own kids. And I look at them every day and I tell them like literally out loud, I say, I would never want to be raising kids right now. Like, oh, thank God I had you, you know, 30 or more years ago, because I would never want to be raising you right now. I I don't know how they do it. Parenting is a mess right now. It is so hard. We're so isolated. Our houses are further and further apart from each other. We aren't close to our jobs. Like the jobs have separated further. And so like, it's like you're commuting, but then there aren't daycares. And then like, the logistical nightmare that is parenting in today's day and age is so disappointing because I expect better from smart human beings. Like I want us to solve this problem so much quicker. It's like, yes, we need childcare. And, and the, the maddening thing about this is in American political landscape, 72%. So that's like basically everyone of Republicans and Democrats support infrastructure, care infrastructure. They support paid leave. They support um, like fully funded federal high quality daycare. They support all of these things. And yet 
these people who are running our institutions have not yet put that together. And it's taken 30 years to pass any legislation. And so there's all these parents out there, like your kids are grown and it was a problem back then. And it's so disappointing because um, there aren't many things that everyone agrees on, you know, like this is a, a, a complex landscape of lots of opinions from lots of different parties and people. And this is one thing where it's like, no, we all want this, like, let's go. Yeah. And it's taken the longest to get right. (laughs) I think it's the fight. We should all pretend we don't want it and then we'll have it next week. Right. (laughs) Totally. Something like that needs to happen. It's like how you tell your kids, I don't think you can do it. You can't do it. And then they're like, yes, I can watch me. (laughs) Total reverse psychology. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been so great. And then you have this other program called do half. What is that about? Ooh, no, have. that's a book. That's a book a, that I wrote. It's your book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I wrote short books after I um, tried really hard to write those long books. I tabled those and I started writing short books so that I could just get them out in the world. One is on setting boundaries and saying no. And this other one, do half. It's all about um, rejecting hustle culture and figuring out how to actually pick and choose what you want to do. Because what happens when you become a parent and you add these children to your life, you can't just push through, work harder, work more to make it happen. Um, So it's a philosophy of cutting back and focusing and then some examination of how do you make these really tough decisions that you have to make when you're cutting your workload in half? Why is this so hard to do? Why does it feel so painful to make this decision? But where's the freedom? Where's the path? Um, and I do, I do public talks on this. I go around, I work with organizations. I have a whole workshop series about doing half and, um, I'm actually doing a big one coming up, which is pretty exciting. I'm a little nervous. Uh, of course I am, but, um, if you want it, you can go to startupparent.com slash half. We can put the link in the show notes and people can download a free copy when they join our newsletter. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's so great. Love. Yeah. That's like perfect timing too, because that that's where they are now. They, they're all just realized they can't do it all. Okay. <laughs> they thought they could. Now they're sure they can. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And just before we get to the good stuff, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. I have this great announcement for you. We are starting the pod power hour which is a virtual event that's going to happen on Wednesdays at noon Eastern. And so if you've ever thought about having a podcast, if you have questions, if you are a podcaster and you want to come and meet other podcasters and learn what's new, what's happening, tips and tricks to be better at this amazing passion of podcasting that you have, We would love for you to join us. We're going to have experts there that are going to be sharing their genius. It's going to be amazing. So, and if you're a host and you want to come meet some amazing uh, people that could be potential guests for you on your show, come on out. What a great way to get exposure. Be sure to check it out on my website at camilehman.com as well as follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Whatever is your favorite platform, we will have registration there. You do need to register to attend and it is on Zoom. So super simple, just one hour every other Wednesday. We start on May 4th, so don't miss out. Get registered today. We can't wait to see you there. You have moved from fighting cancer to discovering how to live beyond it. But what now? With so many emotional side effects still unknown, as a new survivor, you find yourself in a void as you navigate through the isolation, fear, and an uncertain future that can overshadow you and your family for years to come. Instead of focusing on the uncertainty of cancer, consider how strong and determined you are and think of the strength demonstrated by those who stood beside you through it all. Consider this, you now get to choose who you want to be and what your intentional, fulfilled life can look like. You made it through treatment. We can help you define yourself as a survivor. We're here to help you through this moment, to walk beside you as you shift your mindset from counting the days of life to creating a legacy. 
For more information, visit www.adventuretherapyfoundation.org or contact us at info at adventurefound.org. Oh my gosh, this has been so great, Sarah. Thank you so much for sharing this. You know, on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners we're going to bring them fierce female entrepreneurs. We are going to share their expert zone of genius. Oh my gosh, I have learned how to say no today. Look out, people. If you know me, there's no's are coming. (laughs) I'm going to tell you no in the most eloquent way I know from Sarah K. Peck herself. Uh, So we promise that we're going to bring all this to our listeners, but we also promise them we're going to tell the truth, which is so fun to me today with this truth conversation that you and I are having here, because in entrepreneurship, we make it look so easy, right? We're here. We're enjoying success. They think we have it going on. Look, you're all together. You've got lipstick and jewelry and you got your best color on. (laughs) Yeah. You make it look so easy and they're grinding and they're thinking, what's wrong with me? Why is this so hard? And so we're here to tell the truth. We're here because we know better and we owe it to the others to go back and tell them and say, come on, we know how this story ends. Come with me. So we're about to pull back the curtain here and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Sarah K. Peck journey of the success that you enjoyed today. And so we're going to start with the good. So could you share a story with us about the good or the great part of your journey so far? Yeah. You know, I love this conversation so much because a lot of it is a little bit of smoke and mirrors. You're like, I've got my stuff together. Look at me. No, this necklace that I put on, it took me like 12 tries to get the clasp on. I was like running around the house being like, how do I do this? I do not know how to put this on, right? I'm only going to be in the Zoom box and I want to look professional. Um, And for everyone like totally candid out there, I am uh, a glowy person. That's the euphemism for it. I sweat like a mother. And so I wear those underarm like anti-sweat things under my clothes because otherwise every time I did this, you'd be like, oh wow, you like you really do sweat a lot. So no, I don't have my stuff together is the first thing. And I just love knowing that about other people because we're humans. We're human beings that sweat, that like can't figure out jewelry clasps. And sometimes in our business, we're just like, does everyone else like, am I a disaster? Like is this just like is am I the like this is chaos. Um, but one of the best parts of the journey has been realizing in working with so many different people, everybody else is full of shit too. Nobody knows what they're doing. No one. And if they pretend that they do watch out, like you like really get like evidence that they really know what they're doing because the honest ones, the ones that tell the truth, like they'll be candid. They may not tell you everything. They don't need to tell you the details of their divorce or what they're going through, but even Oprah cries, right? Oprah might've missed a tax deadline. Her, she might've fired an accountant. She changed business plans. Like you look closely at anybody's biography. We're all making it up as we go. It's slightly terrifying because then you realize that that person over there is making it up and they don't really know what they're doing. Um, but it's like that quote from that song or that book, like we're all just bozos on the bus. Yes, we are. Nobody knows what they're doing. We're all just bozos on the bus. So anytime you're like, I don't have my stuff together, watch the thought that comes next. Because if the thought that comes next is, I don't have my stuff together. I'm bad at business. I shouldn't be in business. I don't deserve to be here. Those thoughts are dangerous. I don't have my stuff together is, all right, most people don't. And what do they do about it? How do I fix this small piece of my puzzle? And what if it is allowed to be chaos over there? What if I never have to figure out how to put a necklace on? What if that's fine? Like, what if that doesn't even matter? And it's so funny that I brought it up, right? So you're like, oh, really glad I put that necklace on. I fought through that class for an hour. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But it's gorgeous, by the way. So, but I get it. I get it. And when you're out running with your kids, you're not worrying about accessories, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny how you say like, nobody, you know, nobody knows what they're doing. Uh, And I use those opportunities for myself to be, I say out loud, oh, if they could see me now, that's what I say. As soon as I do something like really dumb, like yesterday, I'm I'm walking, I'm moving, like relocating the laptop, the phone, the tea, the bottle of water. And I go downstairs and I go to set the 
the computer on my white couch and I forget that I have a teacup in my hand and I look down and there's tea all over my white couch. And all I could do was laugh. I was like, if they could see me now, like you don't even think about it. You're running around with your phone in your hand, trying to get out the door, trying to find your phone. And you're on the phone with somebody like, and you're like, if they could see me now. So I just laugh about it. That's it. Like we're just, that's that's who we are. Right. Oh my gosh. I I love it. Like every day, like at the end of the day, I like get my little snack and I pull my um, laptop and I watch a show or I talk to people, whatever it is I do for fun at the end of the day. And then I am 38 years old and I still have never eaten food in my lap without spilling it on my shirt. Like I'm a disaster. (laughs) And so I now just take like a napkin and I like drape myself in this apron because I'm like, mom's going to like ruin another shirt. Like I just, and every day I'm like, how is it so hard to get food into my mouth? Like what? And then it's also like, if they could see me now, just like you said, we're all just yes. on the bus. Yes. We have our little stain down the front of our shirt. You know, we're just <laughs> totally. That's the one we wear to the playground. Cause we're accepted there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, this is fun, but we have to tell them the other stuff. So yeah. let's tell a story about the band. We'll save the ugly for last, but just let's give them a story about the band. We're encouraging right now. Yeah, you know, um, I think the bad, it's what I, I was like, I feel duped by parenting. Um, it, becoming a parent was so much harder than I expected. It was nothing like what I expected. And I feel like I was strung along by a lot of like cliches and lies and like, oh, it's all going to be worth it. And like, it's the best thing you can ever do. And nobody tells you the truth about um how terrifying it is to watch an infant sleep. Like they snort and they chortle and they like look like they're suffocating themselves. And you're just like, what is happening? Right. And then you're up all night. And then after three months of, I wish what they said, it's not maternity leave. Everyone's like, it's maternity leave. It's like a vacation. I'm like, "Mm -hmm. Uh, how do I reframe this for you? I just got hit by a bus, saw it open Um, and I'm vomiting my guts out and my nipples are crusted over and leaking. And I'm recovering from that while only sleeping two hours at a time, but this is a great vacation, you know, like (laughs) it's just, you're just like, there's, if we actually, I think we would terrify people if we told the truth. So you have to meet it out in small doses, but also we've got to tell it somewhere because you can't believe that there's something wrong with you for crying every day when you're not getting any sleep. And when nobody's helping you. It's true. It's true. And it's overwhelming. Like everything changes at once, right? Like one day you're pregnant and that's hard. And the next day you wake up and you're a mom. And now it's all the things you said, you don't sleep anymore. You don't eat right. You feel sick. You're exhausted. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They don't tell you any of that. Cause I think then the reproduction in the world would end in a complete stop. We'd all be like, we're out of here. I'm not (laughs) signing up for that. (laughs) And then we worry for the rest of our life. Like you said, you watch them sleep. You're thinking, uh, is this child going to wake up? Right. What? And then how about the night, the first night they sleep through the night? Oh my, do you remember? (laughs) I never forget. Oh my gosh. You wake up and you're sure they're gone. They're not here anymore because they would have woke up soaking wet and hungry. And you're like, yeah. And then half the time, and then half the time you don't even like, you're like, they haven't slept through the night yet. Right. Like, what do you mean? Right. Some people, that's what parents tell me. Mine have been sleeping through the night for the most part, but like, again, what is sleeping through the night? Like nobody tells you what sleeping through the night is. It's like seven hours. And like, I would like nine, you know, it's like you put your kid to bed at 7 PM and then they wake up at like 4 AM. And and like, so you put yourself to bed at 11 and you're like, this is bullshit. Sorry. I'm swearing. No, it's just okay. like, <laughs> you know, it's the like, truth. This is not what I signed up for. And so then you're like, I have to like take my melatonin water at seven 30 at night just to get myself in bed by eight 30 so that I can fall asleep by nine 30 so that I can have a hope and prayer of like sleeping until four 30. And last night, my kid, I mean, they mostly sleep through the night, but, um, last night, what did he come in? He can, I don't know what time it was two 30 or three. He came in mommy. I had a nightmare, a really bad nightmare. And I was like, Oh, sweetie, come in. Like, and I just pulled him into my bed, which is what I do when I want to keep sleeping. He goes, yeah, I dreamed that Henry died. And then I died. And then you died. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then I couldn't 
sleep. He went back to sleep and I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> so, you know, it was really, really great. And then I ended up dragging myself out into the living room and lying down on the floor and trying to sleep in the living room because I had one child in my room and another child in his room and there was no more space to sleep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, keeping it real right here. Like this is what it's all about. And that's the thing. Now they know, right? We told them the truth. If they decide to go on and keep having kids, that's on them. (laughs) I want to add one little thing to that. If we have the space, um, if we tell the truth, I think if we tell the truth, you know, the first reaction is, oh no, nobody will have kids. But I actually think that what I would love is that people would say, oh, you need help. I need to help you. We need to help each other. Like this is a puzzle we need to solve because when we don't talk about how hard it is, we don't solve it. And if I tell my friends this, they're like, wait a second, like who's helping you? And I'm like, I need food delivered every day. And if I could have like a friend over from five to seven, who doesn't mind the screams of children, like that would be a miracle. Right. And I think that telling the truth is one of the first steps in making change. Yeah. And, you know, it's a good point that you bring up because here's what happens and people know the truth. They're better prepared. Like you were blindsided. You didn't know. But if you're better prepared and you know the truth and you still choose to walk that that walk, you at least say they told me it was going to be like this. Right. Yeah, that's right. You'll look up the books. You'll decide if you want to do sleep training, you'll hire a night nurse or a night nanny. Right. You might hire somebody to work with you. You'll prepare your meals and meals in advance. And you can tell your friends, you can tell the truth. Like, here's what I really need. I just need an adult to come over once a day so that I have my mental capacity. And even if you come over and you sit and I cry for 20 minutes, just come back tomorrow. That's right. I'll be here crying tomorrow too. (laughs) Maybe tomorrow I'll shower and the next day you'll change a diaper, like just one thing a day, but you just need to sit here with me so that I don't feel like I'm locked inside of this building and I'm never leaving. And all I have is this infant who just screams at me. Girl, you are on to something here. Shout out to all the moms, right? It's great. Have kids. It's great. (laughs) Have 10. I wanted to have 10. I didn't end up having 10, but I did, but I wanted 10. Uh, And and now I look back and think, I'm glad I didn't have 10. Uh, So now we got to take that hard left turn. We're going to talk about the ugly. So let's talk about the ugly of your journey, that ugly part. I mean, the ugly part is actually pretty recent because of the pandemic. So I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old when the pandemic started and I was barely just getting into even like, I, I remember my husband and I were starting to feel good again. Like we were optimistic. And I remember that, like we both lost a tiny bit of weight. We both put on weight during the pregnancy and we both like felt a little better with no, um, nobody needs to lose weight by the way. And I'm not saying that, but it just, I was being more active. I was out there. My body felt better. And, um, the pandemic came and it's like being, I just being punched in the face every day. Um, and we had eight months without any form of childcare. We had 40 days locked in an apartment without leaving because we lived in New York city where the outbreak was. And I have asthma. My husband has other medical stuff. Like we were also like scared, terrified of this virus. I was like, I'm dying. Like this one is, this is not my friend. Um, and it turns out I also have like multiple other conditions where I'm like, COVID's not going to be kind to me. Um, and I sprinted, I sprinted through that period. Cause I was still, I was, my business was in its third year. It was finally making enough to pay myself. Like, I was like, this is cool. I'm onto something. This might work. Um, and I got up at four every day and I worked from four to eight. And then I did parenting from eight to 12. So we just switched the kids and we take them outside, come in at 12, put them down for naps. My kids stopped napping two weeks into the pandemic with a three-year-old. Yeah. Um, did parent. Then I taught from one to three in the afternoon. I still kept my teaching things. And then it was four more hours of parenting. And then it was working in the evening. And it was just like constantly back and forth. I didn't see my husband for the whole year. Um, we both put on, I put on like 30 pounds of stress. Um, and then I hit burnout you cannot run every day of your life in fear, in high levels of stress. There's only so long that potato chips work as a coping mechanism. You know, I would eat them every night, stress eating, like while I was like doing work. And the worst part I think is that my business like on paper was successful. It doubled in revenue, doubled. 
And when I started 2021, I was crying every day. I would hit a wall at like one or two in the afternoon. Um, we got them back in daycare. And then when there was even a note, like, oh, it's going to be a snow day tomorrow. I, I was like, I had P, like, I don't want to say PTSD because that's really reserved for people who've been through really traumatic things, but little T trauma. Like I would get, I would just have these panics. Like, oh my God, I can't, you have to take them. You have to take my children. Um, I think it is a form of torture what we do to parents in America. Um, there's no other job where you work 24 hours a day, interrupted sleep without a break. Like we have employer legislation, employee legislation where you have to get like a 15 minute break every three hours and like a 30 minute break every six hours. And then there's special rules for different things. And parenting is a job that nobody sees, nobody cares about, nobody pays for, and nobody, and like, you don't get a break. And then they gaslight you and say, you're supposed to love this. Right. Like, how do you not love this? These are your children, right? You brought them in yeah. the world. You, you made them, you want them. And this makes me scream. Like it makes, yeah. I literally, I've never experienced rage like this. Um, I wouldn't consider myself an angry person. And I really like have come in tune with my rage. It's not anger, it's rage. Um, and, and the things that I want to scream are like, of course, I love my children. I love them so much. You might love your job. You don't love it 24 hours a day. Like you can love things, but that doesn't mean it's not terrible. Right. And so I love them with every sense of my being. And I love them more when I get two hours to myself. That's it. Yes. I just want two hours. I don't want 20. I just want two. That is so true and so powerful. I love them more when I get two hours to myself. Yeah. I hope the world is listening right now because that is that could not be truer words to say. On this, that just really puts it in perspective. And there's it's not, the whole, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say like, it's not, you don't need a week. You don't need a day. No. You don't need a month. You just need a break. You, you need, it's like inhumane not to have a break. And we, we come from this, you know, really bizarre 20th century, like the, the sense of patriarchy and like, and family life really got distorted. The history is bizarre because we had this, these extreme traditional people call it traditional role models, but men were just leaving the home to work outside the home for the first time. And then we had war and then we had suburban Levittowns. And then we had um, leave it to beaver. We had the rise of television. So we have this historic television snapshot of the perfect cookie cutter wife who stays at home and loves it. And the man who leaves with his little suitcase and briefcase, and then they have two kids, Tommy and Bobby or whatever. And like it's and they drive their cute car and it's all an economic picture mirage. It's not true. It's not historically true. It's not it doesn't work. And yet everyone tells you, like, you're going to want to be a homemaker. Like this is what you're supposed to do. And you just got to dig into the literature and the history and be like, well, that's not true. Like this is not actually accurate. We're making this up and we're harming people in the process. And so now we have the remnants of that where, um, God, it's so like Eve Rodsky talks about this in such a beautiful way, but like, and so does Catherine Goldstein and Amy Westervelt, but who else was it? She's uh, Darcy Lockman. Sorry, I'm throwing names out there. I can give you the links later. She said, um, when a kid enters the picture, men do more work, like the husbands do more work. And so they think they're being an equal partner because they do 30% more work than they've ever done before. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing all these, this work. But the woman does 70% more. She does twice as much more as the man. And the man comes home from the job and gets to sit on the couch. And the man gets to go golf on the weekend. And the man gets to have time with his friends. But the story of the woman is that motherhood is so meaningful and so wonderful that she never needs a break. And that is the biggest bullshit of all. Oh my gosh. Is that not true? And, you know, and that I remember being a kid and my dad going to work and coming home and putting his feet up. I remember leaving on Sunday morning with my mom to go to church. My dad had his feet up with the newspaper watching football. I remember yeah. those things. And back then you could have one income. You know, you try to pull that stuff today 
and you're, you can't afford to live. Right. You, I mean, no. seriously, there, there's not enough money in one job unless they're, you know, making seven, high seven and eight figures that you could just do that, which yeah. is crazy. So crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And here, let me ask you this. Cause I, I yeah. can't even say goodbye without asking you this question. Sure. Would you, um, have you seen that men uh, have a bigger picture now after the pandemic because they had to come home too. A lot of them had to come home and they had to live and share space with their with their corporate wives and their crazy kids. Uh, and and in so many ways, they saw like the truth. Like they left and they didn't see the truth. They come home, they see these crazy women at the door handing the kids off to them, right? Like take yeah. these kids. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're the ones who can't wait to get out of the house and they feel trapped. What do you feel about that? What did you see in your own family? And what are you seeing in these other women? You know, it's so interesting. This is why one of my missions with Start a Parent is to tell all of the stories because one of the dangers in telling the conglomerate story of like, oh, men do this and women do this is that it's actually more complicated. And I want to make sure, especially my dudes, if you're listening to me, like, I love you. Like, I love men. Um, there are so many guys that want to be stay-at-home dads. There's so many dads that want to be involved fathers. And they are pressured by the culture of work just as badly as women. They're not allowed to leave the office late. They have to be available. They get docked if they they get rewarded for being a dad on paper, but not a dad in reality. And it breaks their hearts. Right. And my husband wants to be home with the kids. He took a remote first job. He took a flexible job. When we had kids, he switched to 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. so that he could be there for after school pickups. Like he has been there every step of the way as an equal co parent, sometimes the lead parent. Like his phone number gets on all the school forms. They still find a way to call me. And he's always like, How? How? Like we don't give you her number. Right. And they, the school still call mom. Um, and that's how we try to tilt the balances too. Is like he's on more of the forms so that we'll get an equal number of calls because more people will try to call me. But um, I just, there's so many dads out there that want to be equal parents. There are so many, it, I'll throw a couple of, of points out here that I think are, are useful to tell the story. 70% um, of women work outside of the home. The majority of people work outside of the home. It's almost impossible, like you said, to live off of a, a one person's salary anymore. So this is a whole new world of family that didn't exist. We've got to make new things up and figure out new realities. Um, and 40% of moms are single moms. So we also need to figure out, wait a second, there aren't dads. There are some single dads out there, much fewer. So the whole family system looks, there's no traditional family anymore. It's a whole new world. And um, one of the best things we could do, not just for parents, but for every person, every person, is to align school schedules with work schedules. And if we got to stop work at four every day, if work if school extended till four and work stopped at four, do you know how happy people would be to leave at four, go to the gym, have a proper dinner, go like play a game, have an evening to yourself? Part of the problem here is that work has expanded to fill every hour of the day. 6.30, you're on Slack. 7 a.m., you're supposed to be at a pre-work meeting or breakfast call. Work goes until 7, and then you're answering emails till 9. That is a toxic work culture. Parents are feeling the brunt of it, especially in the pandemic. But I think that parents are the canary in the coal mine. And that we're actually, by voicing our stories, by telling our stories, we can make work better for everyone, not just parents. I love that. I love that. That is so, oh, that that's like a dream, right? It, you'd love to see that in, a, in your lifetime to see how that plays out. Like in that next generation, when your kids have kids, if we could pull that together, right? Oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I feel like a campaign is coming on, Sarah. <laughs> I Like, I just need to recover my energy so I can throw it all towards these causes. Yes. Yes, I yeah. agree. Well, this has been such a great conversation. And before we say goodbye, let's tell our listeners where they can find you. Startupparent.com. That's my website. You can find us on all the social channels and you can find the podcast, Startup Parent. But if you search for that name, you will find us. Beautiful. And Sarah, I'm going to ask you just one closing question. And that is, finish this sentence for me, please. The world would be a better place if more people knew blank. What they really felt, 
what they really wanted. So powerful. Okay. Well, to our listeners, make sure you click the show notes so you can get with Sarah for sure. Run to Sarah. She can help support you. If you're a parent, you're thinking about being a parent. If you're wishing you weren't a parent, whatever the case may be, run to Sarah. And I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you're face down on the ground right now, get back up, girl, get back up. You can do it. Tell them, Sarah. Hey, call a friend. Tell them um, I'm stuck and my face is in this carpet and I need help. Just come help me, right? Ask for help. Tell people where you are. Tell the truth and get back up. You can and you might need help. Yes. So just get back up. You can do it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.